0: So we're going to be in Ephesians. Hope you'll take a Bible and turn there with me. It will mean more to you if you will open your own text and look at, we'll be looking at several verses in the book of Ephesians, not only in chapter 1 but in chapter 3 as well. Looking forward to sharing some thoughts with you guys about what God is saying through Paul to us about the church. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know we're talking about good news and good news about the church. I think all of us have probably been I don't know I don't know what the right word is uh, certainly troubled, discouraged, uh, some other synonyms, disheartened by things going on, not only uh, from the perspective of a lot of people have been adversely affected by the virus, but also um, a spirit of division in the country as well. And I think it's appropriate for us to remind ourselves of who we are, you know, and and for us to remember what God has done and is doing in the church to bring good news. I need that, and maybe you need it as well. So that's going to be the emphasis for the next little while as we look at what Paul is teaching us through the book of Ephesians. Now, he talks a lot about the mystery, as one commentary put it, uh, the mystery in the New Testament is an open secret. It's not a secret in the sense that God hasn't told us about it. It's a secret in the sense that it was something God gradually revealed over the course of revelation of the Bible, and it came to fruition in Jesus, and we learn a lot about it in the book of Ephesians here. So we'll emphasize that for a little bit today. Um, what is God doing in the church? Now, in uh, in chapter 1, I want you to look with me at the end of it. This is part of the reading Stephen read for us a minute ago the last two verses of Ephesians 1. Just notice, I want to actually go back and read a little bit more because I want you to see we're talking about the church. What is it? Okay, what is it? What is it doing? What is God doing through it? Number one, Paul says it's the body of Christ. Now, that's a pretty basic kind of thing. You may be aware of this already, but I want you to uh, some of this I just want to emphasize. Uh, Maybe you need to hear it, I need to hear it again, but. Look at the last paragraph of Ephesians 1, starting in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Notice all the superlatives here. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule, and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Do you notice that language here? Paul is very concerned that we understand when we're talking about what God is doing in Christ, there is no corner. Of the universe, there's no galaxy that is so far flung that it is outside the scope of the reign of God. I mean, his language is emphatic. Let me highlight a couple of things here, and we'll get to the last part of it where he talks about the church. But, but again, notice this the riches, verse 18, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power, uh, the working of his great might. Raised him from the dead, verse 20. Seated him at his right hand, verse 21. Far above. Just notice the language, these nouns. Paul strings together here. Far above all rule. All these are synonyms. Far above all rule. Uh, In case that's not good enough. All rule and authority. In case we miss the rule and authority. The rule, authority, and power. In case that doesn't do it justice. Rule and authority and power and dominion. You know, these, these, these words here, all... There's a lot of semantic overlap here with, with these words, all four of them strung together to communicate this idea of there's nowhere out there he doesn't reign, right? He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and, and, and Paul's probably talking here about God being above any kind of authority. Uh, maybe we often think of political political powers, political authorities, and um, you got people reigning, you got people ruling, you got people appointed, people who are dictators in different countries. you got all these political power structures. God says, they're nothing to me. Those, God is so far above all of that. No matter how much earthly power a man or woman may wield, it is nothing compared to what God is. You know? But I think he's thinking even higher than that. A lot of times in Ephesians and elsewhere in Paul, but especially in Ephesians and its parallel book, Colossians, there's this emphasis on not only powers that we see, but powers that we cannot see, spiritual, demonic powers, the influence of Satan in working through earthly structures and elsewhere to accomplish satanic kind of uh, goals uh, that Satan is working. And you see you see these influences around us today, and you wonder, man, that is evil. That is the forces of evil that are permeating our society you know you see you see that sometimes god says god christ is above all of that whatever kind of rule or authority or power or dominion whatever it is whatever it looks like he is far above that and and above every name that is named in this age but also in the age to come it's just very clear that paul is wanting to communicate there is no corner of the galaxy no corner of the universe where that is is somehow outside of the reign of God. There's there's no power, whether seen or unseen, no power, whether earthly, demonic, spiritual, or otherwise, that is not submissive to him. God is sovereign. And I I think this is a good message. If I may pause here and just apply that to the church right now at this time. Uh, All of us are concerned about what's going on in the world. Unless we've got our heads in the sand, which we don't, we know what's going on. We know not only things about uh, health issues, we know about division, we know about tension, and and we know about uncertainty and chaos, and just all this. You don't need me to tell you about that. But what maybe you do need a reminder about is this. None of this is happening outside of the notice of God. None of this is happening without God somehow Again, I, I wish I had all the answers to all of your questions. But none of the I do know this, none of this is happening outside of the permissive will of God to accomplish something good ultimately. As Christians, we confess that. That's part of the reason we're here this morning is to say to the world and all the stuff, all, all the stuff that's going on out there, we come together as God's people. We call ourselves Christians And we worship the God to whom we submit all of this. There's nothing that's happening that is outside of God's sovereign will. I know you've got questions, as I do, about that. Why, God? Why, if you're in control, are you allowing this? Why are you letting that happen? Why detention? Why injustice? Why death and sickness and disease? Why is this happening? And we don't have specific answers. We can't point to something and say, well, I know that God is doing this specifically. But what we can do is we can say that there is no power that is above or even approaching the level of God's rule and authority and power and dominion. There's no, there's no name in this age or in the one to come. There is no cubic inch in the universe right now that is existing of its own free will, apart from God's sovereignty. That's what we know. And and though it doesn't answer all of our questions, it does help us to trust that God will do what is within His will, ultimately. doesn't mean we just passively sit back and let things happen as they would have otherwise, perhaps. join hands we try to find where god is working we join him there we join hands with him in, in caring about his good work we we try to do what god wants us to do we love neighbor we love him we we're active um, spreading seeds of love and peace and reconciliation justice you know all those all those attributes of god and and, and, and we're, we're we're working trying to anticipate where god is and we go there but at the same time, we recognize that it is not up to us. It is not some political structure. It is, not, it is not, some, it's not doctors and scientists and researchers nor political leaders who are going to fix the world. But rather, it is God working in His people, I think, ultimately. And this is, this is where I would, I'd like for us to come back to as, as Christians. We trust in people doing what God empowers them to do. And we do what we can do as the church to bring about good. I still, maybe I'm naive or overly simplistic. I don't, think, I don't think in this respect I am. But I still want to think that God does his most beautiful work through Christians and through the church. And so let's not feel like we have no power to act in ways that are healthy and good to bring about God's ultimate will. It's a great thing. It's a mysterious thing that somehow God allows us with all of our weaknesses to join hands with Him in accomplishing what He's doing. So, I say all that, I'm trying to follow Paul here, and Paul's saying that to get to this point. At the end of it, verses 22 and 23, he says, He put all things under His feet. All right, So all things out there, all things everywhere. All right, But then he narrows his focus and he says this, All things under His feet and gave Him... Ha- As head over all things to, are you with me here? To the church, which is his body, the fullness of whom he fills all in all. So God is sovereign over the entire universe. But there is a special way in which God reigns over his people. You see, you see the work of God everywhere. I don't, I don't believe that God only works in the church. I believe that you see, you can, you can hunt for good out there, and that's the work of God. It, it, good is being done by people who aren't followers of Jesus. That's God's work. But there's a special way in which he works in the church because he is the fullness of him. It's the fullness of him that fills all in all. That means, that means God's glory and God's power and God's love, God's nature, is, they're seen fully in the church. Let's remember that. We are to be, wherever we go, wherever the church goes, we are to reflect in a beautiful way who God is. Okay, now back up with me in the text here. Not only is it Christ's body, but because of that, and Paul actually does this before he gets to that point, but I want to back up now. Uh, it is where all spiritual blessings are. Because the church is fully filled, it is fully Completely filled by Jesus. That's where all spiritual blessings are. Uh, look with me, just I'm gonna highlight some things, uh, glance with me through verses three through fourteen. He starts out with this doxology, blessed be the God and Father, verse three, of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every, how many of them? Every one of them. How many spiritual blessings outside of Christ? None. They're all, they're all in him. Verse 4. He chose us in Him. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Verse 8, which He lavished upon us. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will. Verse 11, in Him we've obtained an inheritance. Verse 13, in Him we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you see there in that text, every spiritual blessing is in Christ. We're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're chosen, we're predestined. We have the Spirit of God living within us. God lavishes on us every spiritual blessing. Just all these superlatives all over the place in Ephesians. Paul is wanted to communicate to us in Christ, in the church, we have everything God wants us to have. And so, we get frustrated with the world, and we should, It's not where God's reign is seen perfectly, but we have the church. We have respite. We have the body of Christ to which we can flee and seek some refuge from the storms out there. That doesn't mean we stay within the confines of these four walls, these many walls. We uh, We do seek refuge in the church, but it empowers us then to go out in the world and spread the message of the church, the gospel of good news, you know, the the good news of the church. So, all spiritual blessings are in Christ. Now, here's where I wanted you to see where Paul is going with this, all right? And, And we'll get into some specific application for us now, but Ephesians 3, 6. So, he reigns over the church, it's the body of Christ, uh, it uh, all spiritual blessings are there, but but this is where Paul's going. All right, let's narrow the focus a little bit. Look in Ephesians three now. Starting in verse one, Paul says, "For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, know how how the notice this emphasis here. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation." Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, this mystery, what is this mystery, this open secret? What's the big deal about the church? The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is the mystery the mystery is that in the church, God will unite all of his people in one body, regardless of ethnicity, cultural background, whatever. That may not be a shocker to you. You may know that one of the pervasive themes of the Bible explain more fully in the New Testament is that God intended to unite all nations of the earth in the church, in the body, whether Jew or Gentile, whether Jew or non-Jew, that it is the body of Jesus into which God has called all people groups. That's what he's talking about here. Now you may not need to hear that today, but maybe there's a sense in which we need to hear it today. Not Jew-Gentile, that's not that that tension is not there but there's an emphasis on unity in Ephesians in fact if you turn the page and go to Ephesians 4 you'll you'll get to the part where Paul is talking about the seven ones one lord one faith one baptism and he's talking about unity grows up into maturity chapter 4 there's all all sorts of stuff here about unity but i just want i want you to see here that when Paul is talking about the church one of the defining characteristics of it not I would even go farther than that. Not only one of the defining characteristics, but for Paul it seems it is the defining characteristic of the church that it is one into which all people are invited. It's a pretty big deal. I'm a, I'll circle back and say more about that in a minute. All right, just stay with me. Here's number four. Still, still continuing that same theme. If you read on down in, in uh, chapter three here, you get to... I want to actually start at verse 7 and read a little bit. Ephesians 3, 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Look at verse, well, no, verse 10 so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just just see the language Paul uses here, according to the eternal purpose, that, that God, before God ever said, let there be light, God was planning on bringing everybody into the church. This is his eternal purpose. This was, this was what God had been planning. It's the mystery. It's... Paul preaching to the Gentiles and having churches into which Jews and Gentiles both are invited and they have harmony and unity and peace. That's the way it was always intended to be. Again, I'll come back to that and make a little bit of application to us today, but here's the last idea. So at the end of of chapter 3, verse 21, Paul closes this section with a doxology. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, This is powerful. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, what he's saying is that the church is to be a statement of the glory of God. That the church, it's, it's various churches, communities of faith all over the world are these outposts of the glory of God that love and peace and mercy and who God is, that every place where Christians gather together like we are here, every place where churches, communities of faith, groups of Christians gather together weekly to assemble, to worship, and then they go out to work and to school and to neighborhoods, and they spread this message of what God is like, and the world sees that. And I don't know, I want to I try, All right, for a minute, I want to try to apply this a little bit to our time, to our, to our day and time. Before the 8 o'clock service, Merv and I were talking a little bit and um, reflecting on how that in the last three or four months, especially since we first started experiencing consequences and the pandemic started coming to our country, and uh, things started changing for us personally, and and things that have happened since then—racial unrest and tension—it's brought out I don't, it, it, something that was here before, but I guess made worse by pressure and tension, right? Stress is division, and 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 I, I don't know. Uh, if speaking not as a Christian preacher, perhaps, but just as, a, as a, a person who lives here, separate and apart from faith, I would, I would be quite hopeless, I think. I would, To be honest, I would, I would view what's going on around us right now with a, a sense of hopelessness, that we are hopelessly divided. There's no fixing this mess, you know. That's, that's what I would say if I weren't standing before you right now as someone who believes in Christ. Because things are a mess. and I don't, You don't need me to stop by here and tell you that today. I think you probably would agree with that. <clears throat> but what the world needs from us is it needs us to be Christians. It needs for us to believe more deeply, more passionately than we've ever believed. It needs us to live more consistently and more lovingly than we've ever lived it needs for the church the world needs for the church to be the church it needs for us to to be people who are trusting in god that we don't trust in political leaders we don't trust in even people we trust like scientists doctors and medical professionals and all of that we we believe god can work through political leaders we believe he can work through scientists and doctors and he can work through cultural leaders but what i read in ephesians and elsewhere is that what god where god does his clearest most emphatic work is in churches and so more and more let's be the church you know let's be the church let's show let's show the world what it means to love your neighbor you know let's let's show the world that Whatever that looks like, day by day, let's show the world. You know, the world's, I, I think, one, one good thing, God can do many good things through this mess, but, but one of the good things that he might be doing is that the world is going to get frustrated with the world, hopefully. I hope the world will get frustrated with the, world, with the world. I hope the world will see this is what happens when people don't follow God. This is what happens when, pe- when people turn away from the, the, the principles that are part of, uh, that are part of Christianity. Love of God and love of neighbor. This is what happens. And maybe the world will get frustrated. And maybe they'll get frustrated with the inability of political systems to fix it. And, and they'll get frustrated with um, even the inability of, of the medical world to, to fix things. You know, this has kind of caught us. Uh, this, everything has just kind of caught us. We're unprepared, you know, all that. But maybe, maybe. People who've never really thought about faith will recognize or will, will, will start searching for something, something substantive, something real, something to undergird them, something to give them something to cling to, a, a, a buoy, you know, a, a life jacket, something to hold on to when you feel like you're just being overwhelmed with negativity and hopelessness. To him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory in the church. I think the world needs that. I think the world needs that. I know the world needs that. And our prayer is that you and I, all of us, in whatever way we can, to let the world see that the church, it's not perfect. We don't always do things as we should. And it's, as long as the church has people in it, it's going to have problems. In it, you know? so, so the glory of Christ isn't seen perfectly in the church. But the glory of Christ is seen in the church. And you and I are growing into maturity. Paul talks about that in the very next chapter. We're growing into maturity of the fullness of, of, uh, of, of following Jesus. You know? That's where we're growing. Let the world see that. So let me just challenge you individually to pray, if you would, about what God might be leading you to do today and tomorrow to show love of neighbor, just to show that this is what the church is like, this is what Christianity is like. In the midst of all of that, let's be a church to, through which God will be glorified. If you're not a Christian this morning, we invite you today to come to Him, to come to Christ, faith in Him. What happens when you become a Christian is God, God adds you to His body, the church. It's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit for the forgiveness of sins that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit added by God to the church, washed by the blood of Jesus, all your sins forgiven and wiped away, a new Lord, a new Savior, a new future, a new hope called to be in fellowship with other believers throughout the world. We invite you to that today on his behalf. And if there's someone here who's ready to make that confession of Jesus as God's son, we encourage you to come today. Maybe you need to come back to him and ask for prayers of God's people that you can get back on the right path. We invite you to come. Let's stand on, let's sing this song.